Welcome to Terrific Tips for Business, where we help you catch the ideas that stick. The point of the podcast is to help you overcome hurdles so you can master your business. I'm your host, Terry Watkins, owner and chief idea catcher at SpinFrogs Consulting, where I work with small business owners to find the pitfalls in their marketing and lift them to success. Let's get to the show. Welcome to another terrific tips for business episode. I am Terry, your host. That's why we call it terrific tips. You can't spell terrific without Terry. Anyway, I am so excited to have all of you here with us today and to introduce you to a new friend of mine, Keith Wilson. I met Keith actually through matchmaker.fm, which is an excellent resource for speakers and podcasters to get connected. It's kind of like a dating app, but not dating. It's all business, which is really cool. So Keith and I had an awesome conversation and that's why he's on my show and I can't wait to introduce you. So he started his full-time career in ministry and while he was a pastor, pastor, he helped launch three nonprofit startups, two businesses, and has consulted in 40 other organizations. And even through each of those organizations, were they were all different. The same people problems consistently derailed great progress. How many of us are familiar with this? There's always a system or a people problem that can totally throw us off of our game, right? So Keith was a little frustrated by this, that the, the same difficulties just kept showing up in each one of these organizations even if it was different leaders, they kept showing up. And so he decided at that point in time to dedicate his career to helping leaders build environments of mutual trust and respect so that they could avoid these problems that seem to be plaguing almost all businesses. Mm -hmm. So as an organizational development consultant for Scroggins Greer, he has spent the last five years helping small businesses, medical practices, and nonprofits recover from internal cultural problems that have caused an organizational crash. Now you know why he's on the show. This is really good stuff, right? I'm so excited. Today, he has made it his mission to equip you with the early warning system so that we all have the potential to stop the culture crash before it starts. I do wanna share a little bit of the fun facts about him with you too. So Keith is a father of four, which he's not nearly old enough to have um, four children. I'm just saying. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) He also sings and plays acoustic guitar. He's a man of many talents because he geeks out on home smart technologies, which is super cool. And he's also a DIY carpenter. So he's he's got all of the things happening. And I don't know how he has time to do all of this with four children, but he's got, <laughs> he's got the secret, guys. Um, and in the last 10 years, he is certified as a coach, consultant, and facilitator. He's actually spent 3,000 plus hours coaching leaders, over 1,600 hours training teams, And he's spoken over 300 times to live audiences up to 2,500 people. So he knows what he's talking about. And he secretly wants to be Jim Gaffigan. Ooh, that could be fun. (laughs) So without further ado, I want to introduce you to my friend, Keith. Keith, thanks for being here today. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Terry, for having me. Thank you for the introduction as well. Yeah, you're welcome. So many talents. So we were talking before we turned this on about how you got to be so good at so many things. Oh God. What's your secret? Yes. Um, I like to try new things and I like to grow and do stuff. So a lot of it too was, um, you kind of mentioned I started a life in the ministry and uh, pastors don't get paid a lot. And so a lot of the things I learned were because I couldn't, uh, didn't want to pay other people to do things. <laughs> so, uh, but grew up just kind of worked with my hands a lot in a small town and carried that over, I suppose. So another thing too, you mentioned the four kids, a lot of doing a lot of different things has to do with doing with them. So involving them in that kind of stuff um, so that they're a part of it is one of the ways that I've been able to learn and do, because if they weren't interested, then it'd just be time that I'm kind of away from them. So 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a creative way to keep them um, exposed to new things and to mm -hmm. get their help with different projects and right. yeah. teach them some useful life skills too. Cause that DIY yeah. stuff, carpentry is no joke. Yeah. So. yeah. Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So you transitioned from ministry into business coaching because as a yes. minister, you were kind of being a business coach. Yes. That's yeah. It kind of happened. Accidentally. Yeah. You could say it that. happened ac accidentally. Tell us what, what that means. Yeah. Well, I guess it means, hmm. Well, my degree uh, in college, I went to school and it was a combination of kind of leadership development and uh, counseling. That was my degree course. So it really lends itself well to coaching and organizational development. And uh, as I was coaching, especially once I moved up to the, the last church I was in a number of years ago, it was in a very successful area. Uh, Procter & Gamble, P&G is centered here in Cincinnati. And so a lot of the people who attended there and GE, uh, GE Aviation, are here within 10 minutes of where I live in Cincinnati. So a lot of the people who attended that were volunteering for me that I was leading in some way were people who had uh, a lot of experience leading large corporate America. And so I had to really ramp up my own leadership skill and ability and planning ability. And so as I was leading them, I ended up getting a coach um, who was a very high dollar type dude who ended up mm, coaching me virtually for free. We got to be a real close friend of our family and uh, for about six years. And so learned a lot. And after starting a few nonprofits, um, just wound up kind of coaching there, consulting in different ways. And uh, that bled over into different uh, business leaders who were asking for the same kind of information. And culture is, though it, it, uh, there's nuances to every industry, the baseline understanding of building an organization where people love to work and work well together and uh, of mutual trust and respect, that's the same anywhere. Um, mm. different nuances, but what people really want is the same. And honestly, the church is a place where um, hmm, there are a lot of culture issues mm. and uh, they do the, some of the soft skill stuff well, but they don't, don't do as much of the strategic hard skill kind of things well. So dabbling in both worlds, I felt like I got this good balance of kind of both things that yeah. has helped a lot of people. So that worked for really me. I don't know why it happened that way, you know? <laughs> It sounds like it would be really hard because it's like very different skill sets to handle both sides of that conversation. But it sounds really interesting that you were able to find this common ground almost that existed there because, I mean, there are a lot of business owners or entrepreneurs who are also faith oriented individuals. And mm -hmm. so they, they exist inside of churches all over the place. So it right. makes sense that you had this kind of pocket of people who were looking for guidance and right. probably guidance within their business too. So it just kind of naturally occurred. What's yeah, been like the, that, common, that common uh, challenge? Cause we talked about that common human challenge. Mm -hmm. What's, what is that like hmm. that you found over the years? The common human challenge, you mean? Yeah. Well, I think it's, we all want the same thing, whether you're an owner uh, or an employee in any organization, you want to wake up every day and not dread going to work. You want to be excited about showing up there. You want to feel like what you're going to do is going to engage and use your strengths and abilities. And you're going to do it with people that you like, and you're clear about how you win and what's going to happen in that day. And you want to feel challenged too. You want to feel like you're pushed and you grow. And at the end of the day, you kind of want to leave with this um, exhausted sense of excitement that you did great things, a feeling of accomplishment, but enough of you left that you still can be yourself at home um, mm. with friends and family. And that's common. That's just the human condition, right? We all want that to feel meaningful and purposeful and to be part of a tribe. And it's the same everywhere. So and the church has had this unique struggle where you're trying to motivate people who are volunteers also generally giving money when, you know, so it's the total opposite of what a business is in that sense. Like imagine a business trying to get their best customers to continue to buy more from them and volunteer to do the work for them for free. <laughs> like, so motivating people in that world is really interesting and leading in that way. So if you can motivate people who are volunteers, um, you can motivate people who are employees certainly well. Oh yeah. I would imagine it's way easier to motivate an employee than it is a volunteer. It depends a bit. 
You would yeah. think that you have that dollar sign hanging on the end of the you know line in front of somebody that it would help. But that's one of the things that's kind of surprised me about the business world is in nonprofits, especially not just churches, but you have this purpose thing that you have to, you know, Simon Sinek has you know, started this whole start with why thing. And he's been talking about that for years in nonprofit world. Every conversation starts with the why um, and everything you do begins with that. So it kind of shocked me getting into the business world that so many leaders were leaving that out there. They weren't starting every conversation, every meeting with, okay, here's why we're here today. Not just the, what we're going to accomplish on the agenda, but here's why that's important to the overall mission of who we are. And uh, a lot of business leaders, if they could just frankly get that right and do it more often would see a tremendous amount of growth in their organization. Well, sure. Because I think there's more buy-in because there's this transparency of intention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that really goes a long way to building trust. And you touched on trust Mm. a minute ago. Yes. Right. So having that kind of transparency of what, what are we doing here exactly? Mm -hmm. Really goes a long way to building that. So yeah, and clarity is the first step to trust, right? Everything has to be clear before I can trust you. I want to be clear about what we're doing and, and why we're going there. So that's a pretty important pillar. Yeah. So that's one of the biggest challenges for business owners, right? Is we're not very clear. We're, we're not, certainly not as clear as we think we are. Right. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, is yeah. there something we can do to get more clear? Mm. That's a really good question. Um, you know, wh- one of the things that I coach leaders to do pretty frequently is to ask their team at least once or twice a year, um, to give them a little time to think about it ahead of time, but come into their office and sit down with them and say, hey, what could I do to lead you better? Um, And you'll get a lot of good conversation coming out of that. Because we often say, hey, if you need anything, let me know, or we've got an open door policy, but we have to ask some intentional questions that draw out of our people, what it is that they need from us in order to get more clear. And they'll they'll let you know in that moment. Um, That's not often enough, but to make sure you're taking a few kind of critical points of the year to ask, how can I lead you better? What do you really need from me? What are you seeing that I'm missing? And creating the psychological safety that has to be there in order for them to bring that to you. Um, And then rewarding that when it happens, that's a pretty big deal for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's a great tip. So, and it's an easy question. Like if everybody knows from the time they start there that twice a year, we always ask, what's something we could be doing better to help you be better at what you do here. Right. Like then, you know, going in to be prepared for that question. So you're going right. to be looking for ways that you feel yeah. like you need. Support. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And asking how can I lead you better is also a really personal question because it gets to everybody's different, right? Every personality type needs to be, that was probably the biggest lesson for me in leadership overall after 20 mm-hmm. something years was that every individual Uh, needed to be and wanted to be led a little bit differently. And my kids are the same way. They have their own style, their own personality type and calibrating me kind of calibrating how I lead and invite somebody in and challenge them at the same time is that's a difficult kind of dance to do. Um, But the more we figure that out, the better off we are. So it builds a lot of trust too. when people feel like, Hey, how, how I interact in this is really important to this person. So as a, as a marketing coach, marketing consultant, it's one of the questions that I always ask my clients and I ask it at least once a month, Mm. what can I do to be better for you? How can I better serve you? Mm. Um, Because at the end of the day, I mean, we're in a mutual arrangement. We're working together to help their business grow I'm sure there's something I could be doing better is what is it? And most of the time I get, ah, you're good. Nothing. Right. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's why one of the, one of the reasons I tell leaders to email their people ahead of time or let them know, Hey, in our meeting next week on next Tuesday, when we get together, I want you to think about answering this question because on the spot, sometimes it's hard for people to think about it. And also I find that generally more introverted people want to think about it more extroverted people might know it quickly and be able to say it. However, because I tend to be more extroverted, I might go, I know that I need to say, uh, stop correcting me in front of my team, you know, or stop blocking my ideas when we get to this subject. But I don't know how to do that right now without 
stepping into hot water, <laughs> right? So even as an extrovert, I might go, okay, so how do I say this in a way that doesn't come across as too challenging or too direct, you know, because there is this gap that exists between what leaders see and what everybody else sees. And we don't always bring the full truth up the chain of command. Um, and on so many leaders we work with are frustrated by that reality that people just aren't telling us everything we need to know. And it's a natural phenomenon that happens because we walk into a room and if I'm a CEO or a boss and somebody else is an employee, automatically I carry this power and authority to over their life in some way to fire them, to let them go, to affect their income and their career path. And so people aren't always honest with us. Um, and that's a, that's a big barrier to that trusting relationship. Absolutely. Happening, so. so is there something that, and, and my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. So I think that's interesting. You brought that up the whole interview process. And they ask mm. you what your greatest weakness is. Yes. And I'm like, that's the that's worst question ever. Yeah. Because are you going to be honest about what your greatest weakness is? Right. Or do the cliche thing. The job? Like, yeah. The cliche thing is always that, well, I'm just so dedicated. I work so hard. I mean, like, <laughs> we turned right. something into that's not even fair. Right. That's not even that's fair. That's so fake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like, you can't really, you feel like you can't really be honest because they mm -hmm. haven't created that psychological safety zone. Right. So, right. Yeah. Is there something they could do to create a psychological safety zone that helps increase mm. that transparency and that honesty with their team? I mean, there's so many things you can do. It really is about trust and understanding. The more you listen well to your team uh, individually, the better off things are going to go. Uh, mm. The more that they feel like you give them the type of feedback they need and don't shy away from that, uh, the more trust that's going to be built. There's We actually we do a lot of training on and coaching on these exact concepts and they're not complicated. They're just difficult to get past some of our own fears in and to try and do. Um, but there, it's mostly listening well would be the first thing. And then figuring out what I need to do to help you as a leader and then following through on that and checking in. Um, and especially, I think one of the next best tips kind of throwing those out is that anytime somebody does speak up to you as a leader um, and challenge your way of thinking or is honest with you and you know it's been difficult at all, you've got to praise them, thank them, air high five them in the pandemic or whatever, because it's mm -hmm. you're trying to reinforce that, hey, you bringing that to me is exactly what I need. And I recognize that there's a barrier there that can cause fear in you to, to be that honest with me. So I've got to reward it as best possible. Um, and the more you do that a few times, you do that a few times and all of a sudden people are, just feel a whole lot more free. Um, Gosh. A lot of it's just experience and time, you know. That could be really hard though, as a leader, couldn't it? Like somebody oh, comes yeah. to you with something that they feel like you've done wrong and your ego wants to be like, Ugh. yeah, right. right. <laughs> wow. Exactly. So yeah. I, I imagine there are exercises they can do before they get into a conversation like that to prepare mm -hmm. themselves for somebody coming at them with something that they could be doing better so they can receive right. it in the best possible way so they can do that. Yeah, definitely. Action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, as we're coaching and we'll try to set them up for those moments to recognize when it happens. And instead of being kind of emotionally triggered to respond, to react, right, pause for a minute, hear it. And then say, hey, I want to thank you for doing that. Now, um, if it's done disrespectfully, then you might have to have a different approach. <laughs> right. What we want to reward and praise certainly are when people bring things to us honestly and uh, yeah, with some fear, but do it in a way that is kind of respectful. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you really focus in on are these like early warning triggers for stopping the culture crash. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about how culture is playing a role in the relationships that are happening in the office. Mm. And then let's, then maybe we can talk about some of those triggers too. Yeah, certainly. So hmm, how culture is playing a role. Everybody has a culture, right? Uh, just not many have it on purpose. We, we don't design the cultures that we have. If you think about the culture or the environment that you're in at any workplace, you have an idea of what it is, what's okay, what's not okay, what we do and don't do. And we kind of just figure that out as human beings over time. Um, most organizations wind up there accidentally. They don't design it. 
and get there with purpose. So that's what we try to help organizations do. The problem we found so frequently is we were really good at repairing cultures after a crash and repairing the relationships and helping try to recover from these problems. But most people call us too late. They call us way after things have fallen apart. And we just, we got frustrated at some point as a team, like why do, the, why do people keep calling us to repair instead of to build, establish or enhance what they have? Um, and so we realized, you know, there are all of these things that get in the way of the, in the culture of people and individuals in general enjoying themselves, their life, their work, and we could try to help prevent those. Um, matter of fact, there was a study by Stanford University about five years ago where they were tracking the impact of workplace stress on the lives of Americans, on their health. Mm. And it took years and it was hundreds of thousands of people involved and they were able to link workplace stress to certain health conditions and even to mortality. And what they found, one of the most fascinating things to me that they found was that in America, um, if you advance the percentages to today, 125,000 people in America in 2020 will die due to workplace stress. Um, that's a tremendous amount of people, right? That would make it the yes. sixth leading cause of death, according to the CDC, if it were tracked that way. So people are leaving stressed. You know, we want to come in, like we talked about earlier, and be engaged, empowered, to feel like we're challenged, not just like, hey, everything's great, but we want to be pushed. Um, we want to use our strengths, our gifts, abilities, and learn. But at the end of the day, most people are leaving drained and tired and oh, frustrated. And that's like 63% of the United States leaves that way. Mm. And uh, it's because of the environment we've created in our workplaces that just beats people down. It wears them down. It becomes distrustful and toxic. And uh, so we kind of what happened for us is we were talking about this lamenting that we get called after, but we want to stop it. You know, it's really expensive afterwards. Yeah. and time consuming. Um, but you see these relationships broken and families split apart in the family business because of these things that could have been prevented. And uh, this was kind of inspired. We have this thing called an, a USOC score. So it's E-W-S-O-C-C, early warning signs of culture crash that we created. You know, we realized after working with these organizations, we would interview people and kind of track what had happened. And we could look back and see the problems that led to the things that caused the crash. Um, and we thought we could prevent those and uh, kind of came out. My daughter came home one day with this story, a project she was doing on a girl named Tilly Smith, who was an 11 year old uh, girl from England. She was on vacation with her family in Thailand in 2004, right before the earthquakes happened. So she was there for Christmas. It was a family tradition for two weeks. And she's on the beach one day and noticed these goofy things happening with the water. And she kept thinking, I know I've seen this. I know I've seen this. Well, she had aced um, her meteorology quiz two weeks prior to going on break. And she realized the signs she was seeing were those early warning signs of a tsunami coming. And so she panicked, told her mom and dad. They didn't believe her, but her little sister panicked and ran back to the hotel. Um, her mom ran with her. She kind of drug her mom off the beach and they got up to the top of their condo and then here comes this huge wave. And a lot of people were unfortunately killed because of that. Um, but after the fact, there were over a hundred people who said there was this girl on the beach saying there's gonna be a tsunami, there's gonna be a tsunami. And they left the beach and got up high before it hit. And so she saved all these people's lives because she knew these early warning signs. And that's what we've kind of decided is let's figure out what those are and kind of scream mm -hmm. them from the mountaintop. Like give them away for free. Here are the things you got to look for. There's a tsunami. Yes, there's a tsunami coming, right? <laughs> you can be Philly Smith and you got to get out of the way, you know, or you've got to stop it because we can prevent it then. You know, tsunami is coming. Um, a culture crash can be prevented mm -hmm. if somebody says it early enough and we can go, whoa, 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 let's go figure this out. Um, so that's where we came up with the USOC score. It sounds a little bit like you suck. That's not, you know, so I try to make sure. Or you suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you first said it, I was like, ew, it's a dirty sock. <laughs> you sock. Yeah, exactly. I kind of like that it sounds ooey because it, you know, that's sort of what it is. Uh, it is. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because if we don't have the right culture established and we don't have the early detection signs, what ends up happening is not only do we burn out really good people yes. in our organization and yeah. lose them, which 
I think that statistic is very interesting because if those numbers were actually tracked the way that they would be tracked, we would actually be losing more people to bad culture and companies than we've lost in COVID. Right. Like yes, just saying, like, let's right. bring this into some awareness, right? Yeah, exactly. Pandemic. And, yeah, right. So let's talk about, you know, what, what is that early warning sign? What is the like, hey, something's not right here. We should look right. at yeah. Yeah. So we have 10 of them. Um, I don't know that we'll go through them all, yeah, but we'll do a few. And then if you yeah. want to hear more, you'll just have to get in touch exactly. with Exactly. Yeah. And we have a quiz we do. It's a freebie that people can take and kind of check how often might I see this. And then at the end, it gives you a score and lets you know about those. So we'll kind of talk about it at the end. But cool. um, so let me talk about a couple of the kind of early ones that are might seem a little more obvious, but we see them in ways that might be helpful for you to think about. Um, and then I'll talk about a unique one and probably the last one okay. that might be a good way to look at it. So the first couple actually are related. So what we found that's really interesting is that we find more cultures that crash as a result of people being too nice than people being too harsh. And that generally shocks people because they think, well, you know, we all know that boss who had that person who was, you know, barking orders and trash talking people or just really putting people down in order to try to coerce them into doing what they wanted. Um, yeah. But those people generally get pushed out over time when they're that toxic. What we found is that uh, the cultures that end up crashing and kind of burning are the ones that generally are being too nice. So a couple of the signs of that, one is we call this the avoid dance. So um, think about it this way, when something's going on that needs to be dealt with we find ways to avoid dealing with it. And these organizations that we work with that have had a crash, we'll find that way back when we didn't start dealing with things appropriately. We weren't pe holding people accountable. We weren't disagreeing in meetings. And so when people were avoiding disagreement or sitting quietly, um, not bringing up topics that they knew were important to bring up and pivotal to our customer or client or business, then they would just procrastinate those things. But Tension only increases over time when we let things go uh, until we deal with them. And this is true in all of our relationships as well. If I don't deal with something with my wife and it's something that bothers her, bothers me, that tension just gets worse over time. I might forget about it a bit, but then it'll explode at some point later on and come up in an argument. Um, and that's probably when you least expect it to. Yes. Right. Yeah. And you're going, where did that come from? <laughs> right. You know. We worked with one organization recently that um, a family business, incredible family business that has been really successful, has multiple franchises across kind of this half of the United States. And uh, we're, while we're working to transition from one generation to the next, we're hearing about all these things that are sort of unresolved decisions and issues from years ago that it was kind of a, we agreed, but we didn't really agree. And now I'm bringing it back up as I told you so, you know? And so if you find that people are avoiding disagreement um, are just keeping their mouths shut about things and we're not for procrastinating dealing with those things and you, you're dancing around the truth and what you really need to deal with. Um, but that just creates um, bitterness in people and trust erodes when that happens. So it's certainly a bad, a bad sign. So how can you detect if that's happening in the organization? Mm. Well, one of the sometimes, things we sometimes our employees question. are pretty tricky, right? Sometimes our employees yeah. like they just they oh, yeah. they're very good at hiding that yeah. they're having this thought or feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things we like to do when we work with an organization is sit in meetings. We'll do that with top level leadership, um, but any meetings that are going on at all with people we're coaching actively or consulting, because we'll see it before they will, right? Um, somebody, the boss in the room will say something and then kind of say, does that sound good? And you'll see people around the room kind of nod their head. Yeah. And then you'll see a few make eye contact real quick with each other and kind of roll their eyes and like, look down and, you know, I'm not going to make eye contact. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to, you know, so you have to watch body language <laughs> to some degree. Um, and that's where that question of what are you seeing that I'm missing and creating an environment where people can do that and bring that to you is really, really important because it is hard. Start to bring those things up as an employee. Yeah, for sure. That's those are great things to look out for. So be looking yeah. out for the person who's shooting eye darts at somebody else across yes. the table 
Because there's a yeah. conversation happening there that's not verbal. Yep. Right. And or the conversation after the conversation, you know, the water cooler meeting or the bathroom or whatever, when you, or, you know, hey, walk out and go, oh, there's let's go for a smoke them. break afterwards. Yeah, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So mm -hmm. yeah, be the be the fly on the wall and uh crash that smoke break. You might learn exactly. something. <laughs> right. Yep. 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 Okay, good. Thanks. Okay. So right. another one that's kind of interesting. This one was surprised us a bit, but we started seeing it enough that it definitely made the list. Um, we call this untouchables. So most of us know, you know, the old gangsters of the 20s that were called the untouchables. Um, they were untouchable because they had so many of the judges and police officers in their back pocket that they could get away with anything and not be held accountable. Um, I think it was something like 70% in places like Chicago, right? Um, but what we found in organizations where there were big problems brewing, there would be people who were considered untouchable in some way. And these are people who are protected. Maybe they're the board member's nephew or the founder's best friend um, or that employee who at some critical juncture made a sale or got an account that saved everybody's job in some way. Whatever that contribution has been, people don't feel like they are held to the same standard and they don't feel like they're being, they can be held accountable because of that relationship. It's usually some type of critical relationship they have and they'll start to do whatever they want, behave whatever they want, however they want and just get away with it. Um, and that special relationship just breaches trust as well. Um, but one group in Cincinnati we're working with and uh, sorry, my um, and they were, they, my dog, do you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Of working from home. Um, somebody must be delivering something. Somebody dared walk past our front door. I'm sure. So if it makes you feel any better. Mine's the same way. So that's why she's yes. downstairs this time to yes. keep an eye out for that yeah. rascally mailman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're so mean. You know. Right. They're always delivering stuff. <laughs> why would they do that? Yeah. Right. Yes. Ours used to ignore all the packages until somebody tried to ding dong ditch us. Have you seen that with ice cream? Like they <laughs> put ice cream on the front porch and rang the bell and ran off. Well, we didn't hear it. And the dogs were outside. And then three days later, this friend of mine goes, Hey, did you get that care package? Like, what are you talking about? Like we let, we rang the doorbell, ran off. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, you didn't get the ice cream. Like, no, <laughs> left two half gallons of ice cream in a bag on our front porch. It's like, oh, that would explain all the cardboard boxes from ice cream in the backyard when I mowed the yard. The dogs found it. <laughs> I'm surprised your dogs just didn't get sick from that. I know. Wow. I, I don't know. So that's amazing. But anyway, anyway yeah. going back to what we were Total talking about, it's interesting because I was part of the organization where there mm -hmm. were the untouchables. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like this secret, like internal, like fan club. Yeah. That right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Like, there was a, a person who was on the same level that I was on, um, in terms of the, being an account manager within this organization. And she literally cost the company over a hundred thousand mm. dollars because she screwed up. I believe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she still got a promotion. Yeah. Right. And I was like, meanwhile, I messed up with an account because my client told me they approved where the graphics were going to be on the image that right. we sent them. I sent that same image to the labor team. The labor team puts mm -hmm. it up. The client gets on the show floor and they're flipping out because the, yeah. the print, the graphic was on the opposite side than what they remembered approving. Right, right. Side, but they remembered approving it on the other side and they flipped out and they were calling me after hours on a Sunday. I got mm -hmm. called into my boss's office the next day wanting a dissertation of what went wrong with this project. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, she was off her meds. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. Right. <laughs> she approved yeah. this. This is what was mm -hmm. built. And then she changed her mind about where she wanted yeah. the traffic. Like, mm -hmm. I can't control that. Yeah, but certain people have just unlimited permission to kind of do whatever uh, to cause harm. Sometimes the senior leader will know about it. Sometimes they won't. Um, sometimes they're blind to the fact that there are these favorites. Um, other times they'll be like, yeah, I know they never, you know, they never do that. 
but I'm just not sure because their dad's the chairman of the board. How do I, I don't even know how to have that conversation? And so they've avoided it, you know? So, um, and so that one kind of flows out of some of that avoidance, but it, you saw the price of it, right? It, the problem, one of the things leaders struggle to do is think about a scenario and think about if I avoid dealing with this or deal with it this way, most of the time they're worried about how that one person receives that information with what we fail to recognize is what the rest of the team interprets by us not doing it. Yeah. The message sent to them is it's okay to do this. Um, or if you become one of these internal kind of insiders or brown nosers or whatever, that's what I want from you. I don't want the truth. I don't want, you know, reality. I want you just to kind of kiss my butt and then you'll get away with whatever. Right. And that's certainly not what leaders actually want. And um, this is the same lady who got to travel to events like three or four times a quarter. And mm -hmm. I was like, I went to an event twice and right. I took the job because I wanted to travel and she yeah. wanted to not travel as much. And I'm like, so how is it that she's traveling to all of these events? Yeah. But she's costing, I I'm confused. Like, did I miss something? But right. you're right. Like the message I got was she could do no wrong and every, right, right. and and then it affected her and how she treated everybody else on the team because she was better than everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So then she acted like she was my boss, but we're on the same level. And I'm right. like, you're my boss. Yeah, they start, to, people will start to feel, they recognize that they have a certain level of influence mm -hmm. and it'll start to go to their head for lack of a better term. And they realize that they can kind of get away with things and they feel like, hey, I can tell so-and-so what to do right? Mm -hmm. I can tell Terry, this is what needs to happen or doesn't. And, and part of the time, senior leader is actually treating them that way. So it's a way that they have accidentally unintentionally reinforced it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. What's the third one? I'm curious. How did that resolve? <laughs> did it resolve uh, for you? She ended up, she ended up leaving the company to start her own company. Okay. And I left the company six months later. Um, cause I decided I couldn't take it anymore. It was just, if it wasn't right. hurt with somebody else right. and there was, just, it was just an overly toxic environment where yeah. to them, what challenging environment means is what's the end of your break point. I want to get mm. you there. Push you to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a matter of it's challenging work. It's a matter of how much can you handle? before yeah. you can't handle anymore. And I'm going to go one step behind what you can't handle anymore. And that's yeah. what I'm going to expect of you all the time. And I was right. like, I'm mm -hmm. uh -uh, no, they were a company that gave me a cell phone and a laptop so I could work anywhere, but required me to have my ass in the seat at the office. Right. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm just not a sit behind a computer kind of person all day. Like I right. wanted to go be with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could work from anywhere. Why do I have to work from the office? Can't I right. work from home? Can't I work from the trade show floor? Can't I work from right. anywhere? I mean, isn't right. that why I have a cell phone? Yeah. Yeah. I love the phrase, low control, high accountability. Oh yeah. Um, I'd love for people to create that kind of environment. It takes a while. We might have to build trust for a while before we can really get there, but I want to be a leader who is saying, here's, here's the mark and we're going to hold you accountable to that, but how you get there you know, that is up to you. I'm going to give you that authority and power to decide that because that's what I've hired and paid you to do. That's what you're educated to do. That's what you know how to do. Why would I get in the way of that? I'm going to hold you accountable to it because that's my role to encourage you and empower you to do that. But that's, uh, it's amazing the damage that can be done. Um, and that's what good people do, Terry, exactly what you talked about. I like to say when good people are in, in an organization where the culture isn't healthy, they do one of two things. They resign and leave because they're like, you know what? I'm out. I'm not doing this. Um, or they resign and stay. Mm -hmm. um, this is something I did a long time ago. My first job right out of college in a nonprofit was excited and got tearing off. And, but I ended up doing too much to try and change something that had been around for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not exaggerating that number at all. And uh, ended up just kind of making people frustrated until one day my boss said, hey, Keith, this is not what we're paying you to do. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Just to come in, show up at this meeting, manage that little project, go to that program, and that's it, you know, yeah. and I could do that in 20 hours a week. So I did for a while and still got paid the same and I got <laughs> raised, I got a promotion, but I died inside a little bit every day, you know. Yeah. Um, 
It was miserable. It was yeah, miserable. absolutely. I, was, I would come home in tears. And finally, yes. one day I came home to my husband and I said, I know I don't have another prospect right now, but I cannot do this anymore. This is, right. it's, it's insanity. And I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. Like yes. I, for the first year, I convinced myself that it was me because I was still learning the job and I didn't know mm-hmm. what I didn't know. And the yeah. second year was, no, it's the organization is disorganized is all get out and micromanagement is how they do things. And I was just talking with somebody earlier, yeah. like right now, micromanagers everywhere are dying a little bit inside because oh, yeah. micromanagers get out of everybody. Right. <laughs> Unless they've got the entire company signed up to be on, you know, Slack or Monday.com or something, you know, <laughs> and they're right. going to manage every detail that way. <laughs> right. And even yeah. then they can't like right. if the yeah. job is getting done. I don't know how many hours you spent doing it. You might've gotten it done in 15 minutes and then you goofed right. off for 45. Yeah. I can't prove that you didn't take the full eight hours to get that particular task done. So yeah, micromanagers Mm -hmm. everywhere are dying with this remote work thing. And I'm really thankful. A lot of people I coach come to that point where, like you talked about, where they go, this isn't for me or I'm dying here. This is not working. And they make that, they just kind of give up. And that's a, it's very unfortunate for the organization, but it's even more unfortunate for that individual because they just, they become non-productive, counterproductive over time and it's unhealthy for them. So I'm glad that you were able to make that courageous decision of, you know what, this is not for me. I don't fit here. It's not going to work here. Uh, this isn't an environment that I can thrive in. So I'm going to have to do something different. So it really a lot of people have, struggle a valuable lesson of never mm-hmm. negotiate from a place of weakness. Right. Because yeah, when right. you negotiate from a place mm-hmm. of weakness, it will cost you. Right. In some way it's going to cost you. It will cost you relationships or it will cost you your soul or it will cost you some, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you if you negotiate from a place of weakness and just don't ever do that. It's a bad right. mistake. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have this kind of exercise I do. This might be fun for people to try on their own. It's three circles that interlap right in the middle. You know, you've seen <laughs> that before, but it's uh, the people, the practices and the environment. So you just write out what are the people practices environment that I was in when I was most successful and most fully myself, kind of that uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, that, that's how you say his name, right? Flow, slow state. Mm-hmm. Um, when things are going really well, what were the people I was around? What were the practices or habits I had? And what was the environment like? Um, and then do it for when you were doing poorly and then figure out what do I need in place for me in order to be really successful and empowered. And uh, you figured out, right, that this environment is not good for me. The more we get good at understanding that, the better off everybody is. Um, Because I know I can say no to a job, even if it's like, man, that looks really tempting. I've said no to some things. It's like, that looks really tempting, but I know this and this just won't work for me. And yeah, it might be a huge pay raise or something, but Well, and at the end of the day, it really taught me too in coming out and starting my own thing, right? That I now have a team and I have things that need to get done Mm -hmm. and I could just have my team do those things or I could find out what on my team, like who on my team is particularly skilled at it, who on my team loves doing it, Mm -hmm. who on my team can get it done fastest because they're excited about it or because they're skilled at it. They can knock right. it out. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, Hey, I need this done. I'm going to give it to you. I can say, right. Hey, I need this done. Who should I give it to? Right. And then I can pick and choose the people who it makes the most sense at, and that's going to light them up because right. they've mm-hmm. been rewarded with something that they really get to enjoy. Right. right. And it doesn't make anybody else feel less than because they didn't want it to begin with. Right. <laughs> and think about the trust you build when you let go of something that is really important to you, because everybody knows it's important to you. Everybody knows that that project or that area where the boss is just really, you know, amped up about and gets you know, concerned over. So if my boss comes to me and says, hey, Keith, I want you to take this on. And I know that's critical to them. Then man, like I, I feel like, wow, that he trusts me with this. Yeah. Uh, he, she want to lean into me and they see something in me. And so I'm going to reward them with that. Right. And I'm going to give my full effort. We tend to equal the amount of trust and empowerment shown to us 
as human beings, we want to do that. We aspire to do that. So mm. I think bosses struggle to give over control. Well, and, it's a, it's a mindset thing, right? right. Comes down mm-hmm. to the scarcity it, and absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, t- you definitely kind of touched on one of the signs that we're, we talk about is we call it inverse turnover, mm. inverse turnover. We all know what turnover is where, you know, people leave the organization and we try to limit that number because it is very costly when people leave and the time and the clients involved. Um, but there is a time when turnover works for you. And it's that where if we have a clear culture that we know we're trying to create, we get the right people on the bus in the right seats. Um, they're going to stick around for a long time. If we get good people in and they leave, right, then turnover is working against me. Or we get people who aren't the right fit in and they stay a long time, then our turnover is working against us. So we call that inverse turnover. It's kind of what you said. They resign and leave or resign and stay. So if your good people are leaving, if your kind of longest term people are people who are like, eh, they're okay or they're not the right fit, then something is, something's off in mm-hmm. the culture and environment we've created. So we kind of talk that without ever getting to saying the term inverse turnover, but. Well, there you go. Those yeah, are three yeah. excellent warning signs to be looking out for within yeah. your organization that could be a sign that you might need to have a culture check Yeah, and if everybody's on the same page, in which case mm-hmm. you need to call Keith. So Keith, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you for them to do that? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the best things you can do is email our kind of connect address. It's connect at scrogginsgreer.com. So it's S-C-R-O-G-G-I-N-S-G-R-E-A-R.com. And we will get back to you. Have somebody who gets back to that very quickly to find out about any of the uh, culture assessment that we do, um, pre-hire analytics and assessments to kind of help find match the design around culture and and building a a strategy to create the right kind of place for people. Uh, But we also have this... um, we call it a USOC quiz, the early warning signs of culture crash. That's a freebie that you can check out. Um, and actually you can just go to tinyurl.com um, slash, hold on. I just know that and I totally lost it. Um, it's E-W-S-O-C-C, yeah, USOC score. Yeah, E-W-S-O-C-C-S-C-O-R-E. So USOC score, tinyurl.com slash USOC score. Uh, you can check that out and it's freebie. You just click, do I see this? How often, you know, the number of times, and it gives you a little thing at the end to tell you where you might be seeing some issues and how at risk you are right now, um, where that's leading. And one of the things we find, I really prompt leaders to do this um, because we do some culture assessment. One of the things we do is we take a leader's assessment scores and lay it directly next to the team Mm. to see the disparity between the two and their perspective. Um, And that's one of our signs. We call it the leadership blindfold that we can tell how close an organization is to a culture crash just by looking at how does the leader's opinion of what's happening here in our organizational culture line up with what people are actually experiencing. And the mm. further off that is, the, the worse things are internally. So the level of awareness, and you know, I, I was subject to this as a leader, that things were happening and I didn't know about it many times. We want to know, we just don't always. And uh, sometimes you need a little outside help to yeah. come in and say, hey, do you know this is going on? You know. And without shame, right? It's, we don't intend to, it just happens. And we need somebody to go, hey, this is happening and let's deal with it. You yeah. know, it can be dealt with. So definitely encourage doesn't people matter, to check out. It doesn't matter who did it or why it's happening. All right. that matters is that it is happening and there's a way to stop it from happening. So yes. let's put those yes. right tools in place. And you're absolutely right. As a leader, we are oftentimes too close to it. So we yeah. just don't see it. It's like the best blind spot in the world mm-hmm. is right in front of your face. You're going right. to miss because it it's mm-hmm. right in front of you. So that's why yeah, it's always beneficial to have a coach or a third party come in and give you a perspective because they can see it from the outside. Right. They're not in it. They're outside of it. So they're able to provide that view that 3000 or 30,000 foot mm-hmm. view that you need to say, go left. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. We no, all need that extra right. voice. You're walking in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can't fix something I don't know. Right. Right. And I miss things all the time. I have no idea what it's like to interact with me. I have no idea what it's like to be a follower of mine, you know, somebody who's a direct report to me. So I need that input. And Google has proven it time and again with studies on psychological safety. Like 
we've got to create that space so people can be honest and we can learn and grow. It's a journey for all of us. And I think that's one of the things we specialize in in general. And I feel that is we like to come in and go, hey, here's what's going on without condemning, shaming, just saying, let's name that thing and go, all right, so where'd it come from? And how do we start working on it? And it's, it, it doesn't matter where you are as long as you don't stay there. That's not the problem, right? Exactly. It's only a problem if we stay here yeah. um, and let it be, and just start dealing with it. So and some of them aren't that complicated. It's just, hey, let's start, let's get moving. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Keith, this has been amazing. Yeah. I have one more question for you. Yeah. Start to wrap up. If there was one thing you wish you knew when you were getting started, what mm. would that be? Getting started. Wow. Hmm. I think just in general, especially getting out of college and starting into leadership positions right away, um, to not be afraid to be who I am, you know, to kind of not be afraid to speak what I know is true and needs to be shared. I just need to find the way to do it. (laughs) I think I early on bit my tongue a lot more than I needed to with leadership um, and found that, hey, I'm actually pretty skilled at sharing information I need to. So um, let the world feel the way to who you are and let them deal with it, sort of. Mm -hmm. Don't do that disrespectfully at all, but be who you are and let the world embrace that, see it and um, come to terms with it. So I think that's a great tip. Um, We have to know who we are before we can be who we are. So yes, that's true. (laughs) If you don't know who you are, find out who you are, and then don't be afraid to show that to somebody else. Because at the end of the day, they're either going to like you or they're not. And that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. There's going to be somebody else who does. Right. And that's okay. And yeah, the the value you carry far exceeds your position (laughs) or your title or the organization you work for. It's not about that at all. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if the organization that you're serving doesn't see the value that you bring to the table or are not listening to you, yeah, then maybe it's time to dust the dust off the resume right. mm-hmm. and look for another opportunity. And I know yeah. there are people out there that are looking for amazing people who have amazing cultures. So if yeah. you're one of those people who is ready to find a place where you can feel comfortable, happy, mm-hmm. fulfilled, and challenged in the right way. Yes, yes. Also get in touch with Keith because I'm sure he's got an organization you can go work for. <laughs> yes, yeah. We actually do some after assessments are taken for a while. We'll certify them as, you know, um, a really healthy organizational culture. So, um, and that's, yeah, we love to have those on our list as examples. <laughs> Those need to be the, the companies that are recognized, not companies yes. that are recognized for the amount of money that they make, but companies that are oh, recognized yeah. for the value that they bring to their team. Great place to work. Yeah. Healthy yeah. place to work. Yeah. Yeah. And you Keith, get so much more out of your people and they get so much more out of their work. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Oh, the reward goes all the way around. Everybody. Yep. Man, this has been delightful. Thank I you, so yes. appreciate you and your time. For our listeners out there, until next time, thanks for listening. Great. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you've enjoyed the show, help us share it by leaving us a review. Also, make sure to follow us at SpinFrogs, that's S-P-I-N-F-R-O-G-S, at Facebook and Instagram to be notified about our future episodes.